I'm Gabriel Spitzer, and this is Transmission. We've all had to cancel plans over the last few months. Vacations, summer camps, work trips. And we've had to get used to a world where you just don't know what life's going to look like more than a few days or weeks out. But imagine you had another event, a big one, that cannot be canceled. A baby on the way. There's so much uncertainty around having a kid anyway, but add to that not knowing whether the child will be born into a world that's returning to normalcy or into a full-on global emergency. Today we have two stories of how the pandemic has transformed some of our best-laid family plans. In one, we'll hear how a group of vulnerable moms from one immigrant community is coping. But first, KNKX's Kari Plog has this story about the roller coaster ride she's been on this year and the limits on our ability to control the forces that are shaping our lives. Even before this pandemic started, a lot happened this year for me and my husband, Christian. We recently locked ourselves upstairs away from our pets to reflect on exactly how crazy life has been since January 2020. So my favorite thing about when we found out we were having a baby was that we genuinely didn't know we were pregnant. Remember, I took a pregnancy test because I thought I might be and I threw it away. Well, I remember you took it and we were going somewhere and I glanced at it on the counter And I thought, I think that's like a really faint second line. Huh, like that looks like it's positive. And just then you said, yeah, it's negative. It's it's a negative test. And you just, you said it with such certainty that I thought, oh, well, you know, why, why would I know? A few days later, the doctor cleared up any confusion. The nurse just came in and said that we had a positive. And then you came home and uh, gave me a slice of cake that said congrats dad on it and asked me to check my calendar, which you'd added an ultrasound appointment to. And the cake I could tell was from QFC and it was really good. News like that is hard to keep to yourself. It wasn't long before we decided to tell our closest friends and family. We started at my parents' house over dinner. Telling my mom was the most fun. And then you go over and grabbed something and you started walking it over to me. And I think I caught a glimpse of Dr. Seuss and I was like, oh my God. I went, you're not drinking wine and you're giving me a Dr. Seuss book. (laughs) What's going on? And I hadn't opened the book and I go, are you having a baby? And you just looked at me and said, yes, look at the book. And I opened it up. I didn't read it clearly. I just opened it up because I knew and I saw a baby. I think I screamed. I might have screamed. And I instantly cried, instantly grabbed you, pulled you into a hug and was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. It was so awesome. I was so excited for for everybody, for you guys, for the future, for everything. It was, I was over the moon. I was just over the moon. So some stuff about me. I'm a planner. The last thing I do before bed is check my calendar for the next day. Most days, my purse doubles as an emergency kit. I never leave the house without a stash of anything I might need between the moment I leave and the moment I return. Still, I recognize the planning part of family planning only goes so far. A lot of it is up to science and timing. And as one of my friends puts it, a million little things going exactly right to create the life you eventually welcome into the world. But when Christian and I talked about starting our family, 
we never imagined just how out of our control everything would get. It started with symptoms that had me on the phone with nurses almost daily, followed by a scary incident at work one day in February. I mean, I was concerned, obviously. You'd had some some concerning symptoms, but that they also were things that could happen in a normal pregnancy and was just, you know, kind of trying to be optimistic. But like driving to your office that day was the first time where I really thought like, it sounds like this probably isn't going to end well for us. That trip to the hospital was way more traumatic than I was expecting. I remember I just was, it was a lot of hurry up and wait, very clinical, not very empathetic, which is what you expect when you go to the ER. And I remember I had a really invasive ultrasound. We hadn't even had an ultrasound yet, so that was my first ultrasound. I think everybody, including the the nurses and eventually the doctor, knew what was going on. You have to go, still go through all these really traumatic steps just to kind of learn the inevitable at that point. And I said to you after the ultrasound, I said, I, I don't feel pregnant anymore. Grieving someone you never met is complicated. When I signed up for pregnancy apps to track my progress, I never thought I'd have to choose between save this child or remove child from profile. You know those apps, the ones filled with tips for being the perfect pregnant person, the ones that compare the size of your developing baby to different types of fruit. When I woke up the day after that traumatic ER visit, I stared down at a little blueberry, marking the first day of my seventh week of pregnancy, a pregnancy that didn't exist anymore. I always thought it was ridiculous comparing the stages of fetal development to a fruit basket, but it was especially jarring that morning. But not as jarring as that early morning phone call to my mom. I was on my way to work, and there was just something about about the tone in your voice. I knew something was wrong. Um, and then you told me, and I think, honestly, for me, my first concern was you. I mean, I was, of course, disappointed but I was more worried about how this was going to affect you than anything else and how you were doing, you and Christian. When it comes to pregnancy and parenthood, society tells you there's a right and a wrong way to feel, a right and wrong way to share the news, a right and wrong way to prepare, to labor, to feed. The list goes on and on and on. But there's no blueprint for dealing with a miscarriage. There's no BuzzFeed list for the top 20 ideas for announcing your failed pregnancy. And society doesn't offer much beyond deafening silence. If it happens to you and you're brave enough to share, you learn about a catalog of traumatic moments your loved ones also suffered in that deafening silence. I didn't expect that we'd conceive so soon, and the surprise of that abruptly changed us. It was day one of something new, something scary and better than we could ever imagine. But after the miscarriage, we couldn't begin imagining our new life. And our old one felt incomplete. And as little as we planned for our failed pregnancy, 
we were even less prepared for what came next. Washington started shutting down March 12th, two weeks after the country's first coronavirus death was reported here. Schools started closing, followed by restaurants and bars. Soon, everything was shuttered. As hospitals braced for Armageddon, we had to decide, do we try again? So when things did start shutting down, and we had already had the conversation that we were going to start trying as soon as we could, and we were hearing that we didn't know what hospitals were going to look like in March, April, May, were you second-guessing our decision to start a family amid all that craziness? I was a little bit. I thought, is this the responsible thing to do? You know, should we intentionally put ourselves in a position where we're going to require a you know, good amount of medical care over the next nine months. You kind of have the same probably economic concerns that a lot of people do. What's the world going to look like nine months from now when, you know, we'll have to support this third person in our family. And But, you know, I think once you make the decision that you want to start a family and be parents, it's not something that you just put on hold. As we contemplated, should we or shouldn't we, Christian and I didn't realize the decision was already out of our hands. We eventually learned that just as Washington was shutting down around us, another nine-month countdown had already started. Wow. That's the only way to describe the first time you hear the sound of your baby's heartbeat at that first ultrasound. We didn't get the chance to hear that sound the first time. A heartbeat means the risks are significantly lower. But more than that, a heartbeat makes it real. We're doing this. We're on the clock. That's when the new worries took over our old ones. Thinking about the future when the future is entirely uncertain. Having your first baby is about as uncertain as it gets. When you throw in a pandemic that some of the smartest people in the world still don't fully understand, it's nearly impossible to imagine the future. I knew that any pregnancy that came after my first one wouldn't be the same, but I had no idea just how different this next one would be. The first time, every day between when we found out you were pregnant and when we found out that we'd had a miscarriage, it was all I thought about. You know, just thinking about September and that time of year and having a newborn and how you know how excited my parents and your parents would be and how my routine would change and you know I'd be at the Keurig in the morning making coffee and just thinking like man eight months from now I'm gonna be doing this and we'll have you know our son or daughter will be rolling around in the living room or whatever and now obviously I think about it every day and a healthy amount every day but I feel like anytime you're going through anything challenging the best thing that anybody can do for themselves is to, you know, it's the most cliched thing in the world, but worry about what's in front of you right now. The next task, the next day, cooking your next meal, living where your feet are and worrying only about what's in front of you and, and what you can get done right now. When you're in quarantine and nothing around you is certain and you have no idea what the next week, let alone weeks or months, has in store. It can be really upsetting to think that far in the future. And I, like, I need to be in control. 
You already have such a lack of control when you're expanding your family. And I don't know, this just feels like piling on. thought to myself, do I need to quarantine myself and your dad for the whole month of December so that if this is crazy, we might have an opportunity to hold our grandbaby? And if the risk is still out there, even if we quarantined ourselves, would we still want to take a chance and be around the baby? It's, it's really uncertain. We try not to think about whether grandma and grandpa will get to hold our baby in the hospital or if anyone will get to see our son or daughter, even from a distance, in those first weeks or months. Still, despite this absolute mess of a year, 2020 probably isn't going to be so bad. There's like the classic scene uh, that you see in movies, or in our case, The Office, because we've watched it 533 times all the way through. Everybody's there in the waiting room, you know, family, grandparents, whoever, they're in the waiting room, and dad comes out and scrubs in a surgical mask and says it's a boy or it's a girl and and I I think about that whether it looks that way or another way you know maybe that's uh that's a FaceTime call or whatever but if everything goes according to plan we will have a a newborn in December and that'll be something to celebrate one way or the other what a redeeming thing to have happen at the very end of what has been a really crappy year otherwise. <laughs> I think my favorite thing about the fact that our baby is going to be born in December 2020 is that hopefully when we look back at 2020, that's what we remember about this year. <laughs> Not that we didn't get to see our friends or go to our favorite places or get our last vacation as a married couple without a baby which we had to cancel. I think we're gonna remember 2020 fondly, despite everything. That story from KNKX's Kari Plogue. So yeah, COVID-19 obviously takes an already nerve-wracking situation, like preparing to grow your family, and just adds a whole layer of chaos and anxiety on top. And for some people, that's in addition to a whole bunch of extra challenges they're saddled with from the start. Somali and Somali-American families in Western Washington face some unique vulnerabilities around child and maternal health. For them, and for the people trying to help them, the pandemic threatens to derail their slow and careful progress. KNKX's Posey Gruner brings us the story. It's late evening, mid-May 2020, in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis, and Ayan Abdullahi approaches a home in Des Moines, Washington. A woman opens the door. She's in her early 30s, holding a newborn baby. And after a short hello on the doorstep, something happens that is at once very normal and, in this moment, very unusual. The woman stands back and welcomes her visitor inside. Abdullahi is a doula. She works with a local organization called Mama Aman. That means safe motherhood in Somali. Mama Aman seeks to close the gap between what Somali mothers need and what our healthcare system provides, 
It's been supported by the Somali Health Board and the University of Washington. Mona Osman was instrumental in getting the program off the ground. She's a nurse practitioner and a member of the Somali Health Board. She was aware that a lot of Somali women were, in doctor speak, resistant to care. They just weren't going to appointments, and she wanted to know why. What is the barriers? What's keeping these women from coming back to their, you know, prenatal care? Why are they resistant to the care? The program got funding from the UW to ask those questions. The answers were important because Somali women, whether in Somalia or in the diaspora, are a high-risk subpopulation for maternal health. Studies have shown that during pregnancy, Somali mothers have higher-than-average rates of hypertension and gestational diabetes. During delivery, Somali women are more likely to experience fetal distress and require emergency C-sections. Their newborns often struggle to adjust in the hours after birth. And postpartum mental health is a concern, too. Many women are refugees who've gone through civil war, are far from their families, and are adjusting to a new culture. Having a newborn baby can sometimes tip them over the edge. Mama Aman wanted to figure out the best way to help, and they decided to ask the community themselves. They started their research by printing up a bunch of questionnaires in Somali. That's when they made their first sort of accidental finding. We found that 80% of the participant community They couldn't read or write in their language. So those documents from their doctors, the ones that had been carefully translated into Somali, those were probably useless too. We found out that most of those papers go to the garbage. So that was one barrier. Another was racism. Many of the women they spoke to felt they'd been ignored or insulted in healthcare settings by people who didn't understand their language or culture. Another was distrust. Some of the women they spoke to felt that healthcare organizations just wanted to take things from them their information, their blood, their money. But that didn't mean that these mothers didn't want to learn. In fact, Mama Aman found that many of the women were hungry for basic knowledge about what was happening to their babies and their bodies. So Mama Aman designed a series of lessons on maternal health. They hired Somali speaking doulas to teach the lessons, and they held the classes within the communities where Somali immigrants and refugees live. The lessons included a lot of diagrams, cartoons, and videos. What is pregnancy? How the symptoms change? How the baby grow up? What is, why are you having nausea? There were nine lessons spread over nine months. The, the first month, two months actually. We didn't have more than two or three participants. After that, though, word of mouth began to spread. You know, it's like it became a social outing for them because they don't have that outing when they have four, five, six, seven kids. So we start, we added a Zumba class at the end of every session of the four sessions. In this social atmosphere, the doulas and the nurses with Mama Aman were able to talk to people, get a sense of what they were dealing with. For the women who were pregnant at the time of the class, Mama Aman offered free doula service, someone like Abdullahi who could be their advocate at the hospital. They also flagged a few mothers who might need extra help after the birth. In those cases, they offered free postpartum doula care. Usually, that meant just checking in on the mom or holding the baby so she could take a shower. But occasionally, says Osman, there were real emergencies. Like one case, we had this mom that the husband decided to leave her a week before she had the baby, and he cut the phone off. So we got her a phone, and then um, the baby, after she went home, 
was crying, crying nonstop. So she called the doula. The doula went and checked on her. When the baby still wouldn't stop crying, the doula called Osman. And I asked the doula to take them both to the ER because I thought the baby was um, having some kind of hypoglycemia or not, you know, not fed enough. She was right. The mother hadn't been making milk, and she didn't have any milk at home. The baby was starving and had low blood sugar. In their first year, Mama Aman educated over 100 women. Their doulas attended 10 births and helped eight mothers through the postpartum period. The first cycle of the program ended in early 2020. They held a graduation party on February 16th. 200 people showed up, many of them entirely new faces. Osman was delighted. I had from every community, you know, we had a civil war. And you can you can see people from the south, people from the north, people, you know, the Bantu community. It was so beautiful. They'd been planning to start another nine-month cycle of lessons. But then, in March, COVID arrived. You know, the social distancing and the city shut down. There are no more drop-in classes. There is definitely no Zumba. Everything is indefinitely on hold. Except, of course, for the babies. Hi, baby. And so there is one thing that Mama Aman is still doing. Doula care for new moms. Like this one. This client had her baby via C-section on April 25th, near the peak of the COVID-19 curve in Washington. Abdullahi says it can be scary to spend so much time in other people's houses. She tries to avoid it when she can. Sometimes, Abdullahi is able to do her job by video chat. She can check in with the mother and ask her how she's sleeping or how the baby is feeding. For some clients, that can be enough. But other times, Abdullahi just has to be there in person. Maybe the mother is all alone. Maybe she has six other kids. Maybe the birth was traumatic. Maybe she has postpartum depression. She knows the risks of coronavirus, and she tries to educate her clients about them. But it's hard to be careful in these environments. There are big families in small houses. She doesn't know what precautions they're taking. I saw sometimes, you know, they're going and coming back with all the gloves or with all masks. So all this, I don't even myself, I don't feel comfortable. But in the, in the meantime, I'll know she needs help. After they get settled in, they talk over how feeding and sleeping is going. When it starts to get dark outside, Abdullahi offers to stay up with the baby so that the mom can get a few hours of sleep. After a tiny protest, she agrees. Ayan stays awake with the baby for a few hours. She folds a little laundry. And when the mom wakes up around 10, Ayan heads out. Okay, bye. Bye. You can call me anytime, she says if you need me. That story from KNKX's Posey Gruner. Transmission is produced by the staff of KNKX, including Posey Gruner, Kevin Kniestead, and Jennifer Wing. Lots of help this week from Kari Plog. Our executive producer is Florangela Davila. Don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Even if that's not where you listen, it still helps. And you can send feedback to outreach at knkx.org. I'm Gabriel Spitzer. Catch you next time on Transmission. Transmission.